Welcome to Literary Anything, our Marion Libraries podcast where we talk about anything literary and literary anything. I'm Jane. I'm Paula. Hello, how are you? I'm well because it's podcast day, <laughs> my favourite day of the month. I know, and this time we both burnt the midnight oil getting this done. Yes, <laughs> we did. And we both confessed that we were worried yeah. about not yeah. being woke enough to discuss yeah. this book. <laughs> Mum's being woke. That's what, we're <laughs> That's what we this. are. Yeah. That's what this episode is. <laughs> I'll say a warning right at the beginning that this book is sexually explicit. Uh, so we may discuss some of that, although it's not as central to the plot as mm. it was last month with Bridgerton. So yeah. maybe not. But it also has lots of potentially triggering things in it like transphobia, misogyny, suicide, HIV, AIDS, phobia, abuse and abortion. So all the things. It's all there. Yeah. <laughs> all the stuff. So. We read Detransition Baby, a novel by Tori Peters. Tori is an American author. This is her debut novel. She's written a couple of novellas, which she has available on her website for free. Mm. So if um, at the end of this you're interested, jump online and have a look there. But this is her debut novel. This is also one of the first novels written by a trans woman to be uh, published by one of the big publishing houses. So this mm. is a Penguin Random House book, which is a pretty it's a big deal mm. and it's received lots of mainstream and critical success another exciting thing about it is that it was long listed for the 2020 women's prize for fiction which is a really big deal but we have since just in the last couple of days mm. it's it didn't unfortunately make it to the short list of that prize which That's is right. which is um unfortunate but we'll talk about that yeah a bit short later. list a little bit later yep. anyway it was announced that this book was has been optioned for a television series adaptation oh, as well. That's exciting. So yeah. I read that on her Instagram page. So Grey's Anatomy writer produces Joan Ratter and Tony Phelan are the showrunners for this adaptation, which is having read it, I can see it being a really exciting, interesting. TV series. Yes. What do you think? Yeah, I totally I agree. Really cool. I would watch that. Yeah, so would I. Tori holds an MFA from the University of Iowa and a Master's in Comparative Literature from Dartmouth. And she splits her time between Brooklyn and an off-grid cabin in Vermont. Right. And she lives with her fiancé and her fiancé's 10-year-old son. Off-grid, off-grid cabin in Vermont. How nice does that sound? <laughs> snow. Sounds Imagine perfect. The snow there. Oh, it you and your so snow. Cold. No, that doesn't – I'd much rather, rather be here, but it sounds very good for a writer. Sounds I mean, like you could get lots of – off-grid. Yeah, mm. lots of writing done. Oh, yeah, that's I'm, not you. I'm a bit off-grid. more on-grid. You're on-grid. <laughs> I like the idea You need the grid. <laughs> In all the things, the <laughs> but grid the solace provides. of it sounds sounds nice. Oh yeah, Christmas it's in not snowy Vermont. Not solace, sol- solitude, solitude. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the actual book. Yeah, I wanted to start off by talking about the dedication. Yes. Could you read us the dedication, Jane? I'd Is that all right? To. You and your dedications and your author's notes. <laughs> To divorced cis women who, like me, had to face starting their life over without either reinvesting in the illusions from the past or growing bitter about the future. So right off the bat, I was intrigued Mm. as a divorced cis woman myself. (laughs) But so I thought, let's just put a pin in that for now Mm -hmm, because it comes up later. It does. But I just wanted to say that right off the bat, I was like, hmm, I don't quite understand what that means but I'm intrigued yeah and she again in that vulture article she talks a little bit about that dedication oh yes I obviously need to read that vulture article I'll send it to you (laughs) so this novel goes back and forth in time between after Ames has been living as a man and Katrina becomes pregnant so Katrina's his boss but they start having an affair at work Mm -hmm. and he thinks that he is sterile because of the hormones that he was on when he was living as a woman. Yes. And he tells Katrina that he's sterile, but then she's pregnant. pregnant. Yeah. So, but it goes back and forth between that time and eight years earlier when he's recently transitioned to female and living as Amy and falling in love with Reese. Yes. So that's the basis the premise yes that's how um, the book goes yes so when he learns that Katrina is pregnant he feels very conflicted about that and I feel like it's difficult to 
really describe his conflict? Yeah, it's it's the conflict seems to be around the idea of fatherhood and being a father, and I. It seems to me that throughout the book, he he comes to think that. <laughs> <laughs> it, the idea of, of fatherhood is a difficult concept, I guess, because yes, he's living as a man now, but he's not. He didn't detransition because he isn't trans. Yeah, he still feels like a trans woman, but it was too difficult to live the life of a trans woman or to do trans. Yeah, and I want to talk about more about that the later. Distinction between the two. Yes. Yeah, so I think that's, that's really where the conflict the conflict arises because all of a sudden he's presented with fatherhood mm. and what does that mean for him? Right, and I feel like his feeling about being a parent in general, mm. about having a child, is much more sort of ambivalent than, mm. say, Reese or Katrina. Yeah. So we'll talk about that more. But he approaches, after he finds out, and he and Katrina talk about it, and he, he discusses his misgivings about it mm. then he approaches reese and they are no longer in a relationship they uh, they broke up obviously and not even talking or mm. they're estranged from each other completely but we learn that reese very much wanted to be or wants to be a mother and mm -hmm. so he approaches reese to ask if she would consider being involved in raising this baby and tell me what you think of that i i was I thought, what a ridiculous idea. <laughs> That's what I thought. I okay. thought, who... I, it doesn't quite... And I, we'll talk about it again later, but I didn't get a satisfactory reason as to why Ames would need to have Reese as a third co-parent in this relationship. Mm. My... they talk. It does come up a lot throughout the, the book... But I was just like, this is a ridiculous premise for, this is a ridiculous plot point to start the book off with. I was like, why, <laughs> why would you need that? I didn't find that so much, but what I couldn't believe was the fact that he approached Reese with this idea yes. before he even discussed it with Katrina. Yes, and this is comes on the back of him revealing to Katrina that he used to live as a, tra a trans woman. That's right. We should mention that Katrina did not know that. She did that. not know. And so it was, he, he tells her this, you know, I thought I was sterile because of I used to take hormones. estrogen yeah. and hormones that, you know, usually makes you sterile, which is obviously not the case now. And so that revelation to her, she goes off on a bit of a, a spin at that revelation and then very quickly he's like, oh, maybe I'll get my... Tran ex-trans girlfriend involved as a third parent without and even Reese's reaction to that is is funny to me. like it was you know it was quite humorous and just like because I think Reese even says why would you even discuss this with me before you yeah, talk to Katrina about that's it yeah right. that's right I forgot that yeah yeah and she was a bit um yeah we'll go talk to her and then if she doesn't murder you <laughs> then come back <laughs> and we can talk about yeah, it more we can talk about it more so then it goes back in time and we see how Amy and Reese's relationship starts. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I feel like it goes back and forth a lot between these two times, but there's not a lot of plot in, mm. in I would say, the first two-thirds of it. And I would think that the plot really gets going, as I say, two-thirds of the way through, when in the older timeline, Reese is having an affair with Stanley, who is an ex-boyfriend of hers, mm -hmm. cis male boyfriend, who treats her really badly. But she runs into him, and they start an affair. Yeah, She and Amy are going to an adoption meeting, mm -hmm. and they realize that this could be their chance to adopt a baby without going to a private adoption agency mm. which is out of the realm of possibility for them because of the amount of money it costs yeah, this is like a fostering adoption process yes yeah and normally reese is very motivated to do things to adopt a baby because she desperately wants to become a mother but for some reason she's reacting strangely and, and amy doesn't really understand why and finally at the meeting, Reese walks out and Amy approaches her and she confesses mm. that she's been having an affair with Stanley. And 
strangely, then they do not discuss it anymore. And they sort of weirdly continue on in their relationship. Mm. But then they had previously installed this app on their phones when they were trying to find each other in a park one day. And it's still installed. And so Amy sort of becomes a bit, a bit obsessed with watching where mm. Reese <clears throat> is on this app and comparing it to where Reese says that she is. And so she realizes that she's still continuing to see Stanley. And so then there's this kind of exciting car chase mm. that's also kind of funny with an it Uber. It was really funny. <laughs> it was funny, was really funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because she basically, you know, in the movies, when you jump into a cab and say, follow that car, that's what she wants to do. But because she gets into an Uber and it, that's not how Uber works. And you got to change your, you know, your destination. You got to change your destination. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah. But then she finally confronts Reese and Stanley and Stanley reacts horribly, of course, because he's a horrible person. Yes. And punches Amy in the face and breaks her nose. I know, which she had had fixed. Reconstructed. She was, it was a, yeah, it was a nose job nose. And and it was beautiful, apparently. And, yeah, yeah, and part of her identity was, ha- you know, her transition was this. They talk quite a lot about mm. her getting her nose done. Yes. And as a sort of final tick in the box of passing as female. Yes, and mm. how beautiful it was. Yeah. And yes, Stanley breaks her nose. And then she's lying on the ground. Stanley takes off. She's obviously upset. And Reese tries to approach her. And Amy says, leave me alone. And so then Reese does and leaves her there, bleeding on the street. I know, with her skirt, like, ripped. Yeah. yeah. That was horrible. Wasn't it? Yeah. And then in the recent timeline, Katrina and Reese have gotten on board with the idea now of this mm-hmm. family, their new family that they're going to create with the three of them. And Katrina interestingly decides that she's queer. Yeah. That her wanting this family is part of her queerness. And mm-hmm. Katrina's divorced. And she had previously, when she was married to this other man, had become pregnant and miscarried and then felt relief instead of grief over her miscarriage. And she comes to the conclusion that part of the reason why she was more relieved and uh, in the end didn't want to be in that marriage is part of is mm. because she's queer and this is the family that she's mm. choosing now. So she and Reese are really bonding mm. and they're going out and buying things for the baby and they're really invested in this idea of a family. Mm-hmm. And then Katrina invites Reese to like an essential oils party. I, terror. <laughs> had you heard party. of that yeah. before? Oh, have you been to one? <laughs> no. Oh, I was not familiar. But yeah, I thought that whole bit was hilarious. It was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Reese goes to this doTERRA party and Reese was like me she hadn't heard of doTERRA either yeah <laughs> anyway and generally it's going fine until th- one of the women's husbands comes to pick her up and Reese realizes that it's her boyfriend who she calls the cowboy mm. who she's been which, having an affair yeah, with which you meet right at the beginning of the book right yeah right another not so nice guy Men who treat trans women really badly yeah. sort of feature in this, yes, that's in this right. book. Yeah. And then when she eventually, does she tell Katrina that that's who it is? Yes. Oh, yeah, because yeah. as soon as he walks in, she says to Katrina, that's the cowboy. Mm. And Katrina's like, oh, that's my friend's husband who has in the past cheated on her with a trans with woman. trans woman, yeah. Yeah. And so then all oh, hell and breaks loose. HIV positive. Yes. And this this whole AIDS. Yeah, that's part of plot which isn't yeah. Mm, that's part of Katri- Katrina's bad reaction mm. is that the cowboy is HIV positive but with very low viral loads meaning mm. there's low possibility yeah, yeah of yeah. transmission and also Reese is on Truveda which is um, what people take as a precaution. Mhm. Um, if they are at risk of contract contracting HIV, so the chance that that he would be infecting her or anyone is very highly very highly unlikely. Yes, right. But Katrina freaks out and they stop speaking, and Reese feels like she's quote unquote lost her baby because yeah. she had become so invested in this idea of this family and this baby being hers. Yeah, 
So then she's at the beach with some friends, and she wanders into the water to practice this Wim Hof technique, which <laughs> I was really funny to me because had you heard of Wim no, Hof before? No, I hadn't. So Brett, my partner, is is totally into Wim Hof. <laughs> so I'm very familiar with Wim Hof and who he is mm. and what he does in this whole. The idea is that you do this breathing and you expose your body to really cold water, and he. Anyway, if you're interested, read up on Wim Hof because mm. he's he's amazing what he's been able to do with his body. And now Brett has cold showers every morning oh because God, of that. I know, awful. doesn't it? <laughs> I'm in there for ages in the nice hot, and he's like, oh, you should have cold. And no, nah. no, not doing that. <laughs> but anyway, the reason why Wim Hof developed this technique was in a response to. So this is true. This is a real thing that's Mm. happened. It was in response to losing his wife. And part of how he got over his grief was by this constant constant submerging his Mm. body in cold water. So Reese decides in the midst of her grief about losing, Mm. quote unquote, losing her child, that she would do that. So she wanders into the water. But everybody else at the beach thinks it's a suicide attempt. And there's also lots of talk about, how did she put it? The high levels of of suicide amongst the trans the trans community the trans yeah well, so they so they're rightfully so assuming that she's trying to take her life which is so common right you know one of the i just i'll read you this one bit since we're talking about this phenomena or i don't know if you call it a phenomena but she starts off one chapter like this if you are a trans girl who knows many other trans girls you go to church a lot because church is where they hold funerals What no one wants to admit about funerals, because you're supposed to be crushed by the melancholy of being a trans girl among the prematurely dead girls, or dead trans girls, is that funerals for dead trans girls number among the notable social events of a season. (laughs) So that's like so, so morbid and depressing and sad, but also Also funny how she puts it. I loved that. (laughs) It also sounds horrible when I say it, but that whole funeral bit yeah as a social event is so sad but it's so sad funny (laughs) she is so funny I know the dichotomy of that is interesting (laughs) isn't it so anyway trans trans women's suicide is definitely a thing yes and so they all think that that's what's happening and nobody will listen to her about Wim Hof she's She's yelling Wim Hof at people and they're like (laughs) and again you know it's (laughs) the dichotomy of People are, are freaking out because they think she's taking a life and she's screaming Wim Hof at the paramedics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> because she wasn't. She wasn't yeah, trying to commit like suicide. But they, they make her go to the hospital anyway because mm. they don't believe her. Yeah. And so then her friend calls Reese to say... Sorry, her friend calls, calls Ames. Amy. Ames. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ames. Amy, when she trans- detransitions back to a man, is Ames. Yes. Because he used to be James. Yeah. And so then he became Amy, and then he became Ames. And so then Ames and Katrina come and see her in the hospital, and that's how they get reunited again. And then there's this whole thing about should Katrina keep this baby or not? Because up until that point, after the uh, revelation that she was uh, having an affair with her friend's husband, she booked the appointment to have the pregnancy terminated and that was the trajectory that they were going down and right up until the hospital part and then they come together. And then Katrina invites Reese to the appointment mm-hmm. and Reese thinks, why would Katrina invite me to that? Mm. Maybe she it because she wants me to talk her out of it so then the morning of the appointment the three of them are sitting there talking about it yeah and then that's the end yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay sure say more say more about how you how you felt about that at the ending yeah i feel two ways about endings like this i do like things tied up nicely i like to know what happens mm-hmm. and i like it to be wrapped up but I also really appreciate, as a reader, to be left hanging because then you think about it and you mm-hmm. think, what are they going to do? And, you know, it leaves a question mark over it all. So I wasn't disappointed or surprised, yet still there's a small part of me that wanted to know what happened. Yeah. Oh, yeah I was surprised. I don't know why because I could clearly see the book was coming to an end. Yeah. And But I still was surprised. I was like, what? <laughs> You don't even find out. (laughs) But also, yes, I appreciated that. I feel like whatever happened, 
was it would be almost too prescriptive to say mm. almost like this is the way it's supposed to be done and there is no there is no way it's supposed to be done yeah, yeah. so i like uh, i i feel like i feel like this is the only way it could end yeah i i want to talk again about this third co-parent setup and i th- i want to clarify that you know they talk a little bit about how they're trying to make uh, their own reality of what parenting looks mm. looks like, and you know, there's lots of families with different sorts of parenting setups, and they're, they're, I'm sure there's parent uh, setups with three equal co-parents. It's not so much about that. It's just, it's more the why. Why did Ames feel the need to have that? And I've, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna find it hard to articulate this, mm. but. I know that the issue for Ames was the concept of fatherhood and what that means as a man mm. or somebody who is trans female but is living as a man mm. and the idea that they can, you know, they talk a lot about making up their own rules about what their own reality of parenting looks like. And I found that a bit funny because surely then, however he feels about himself, why can't he just parent mm. however he lives his life or feels like on the inside yeah like know? obviously like they've ditched gender normative that's roles right. anyway so yeah. what's what difference does it make and do you know what it, does I, that make i sense? do yeah, yeah that makes that but makes that sense was a, that was a sticking point the whole way through because i'm like right why do you need reese who's so flighty and volatile volatile and moody and, and was horrible to you like it was really horrible. shitty yeah, yeah, and like not responsible, not a responsible person at all. No. Why would you want Reese in that? It, yeah, I, I wondered if it was because he knew how much she wanted to be a mother and for some reason he wanted to give that to her even after... And why after would you want that? Why would you, and why would Katrina want that? Mm. That that was a bit of a sticking point for me, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Did you like Reese? No. <laughs> No, I thought she was horrible. And uh, Jane and I talked about the fact that um, Tori Peters has this beautiful photo mm. of her on the back. Yeah. It, we, we immediately attached Reese to the author, which, he, of course, you shouldn't do because... No. That I wanted to like her, but I, I really didn't. I just couldn't get over how she treated Amy with mm. the whole Stanley thing. Yeah. I I didn't, didn't like Reese, but I didn't not like Reese either. I thought Reese was hilarious. Oh yeah, she's and yeah, that's really true. funny. And I love again. I've said this lots of times. I love character-driven books, and mm. this is very character-driven. Definitely. Uh, I loved Reese's caustic, funny, brutal assessments of the people in her life. Mm. You know, like the DoTerra party and <laughs> the funeral, and just her descriptions of others and their places in the world and mm. the communities in which she lives. Mm. I, I just. I thought it was really funny. But I did get lost in some of the deep dives dives into Reese and Ames's past. It was also crucial to the story because it rounded out the char- rounded out these two characters well. I did feel like some parts were probably a bit long and so it slowed down the pace of, of the plot a little bit. I felt very similarly. I feel conflicted mm. because I like the writing for all the things yes. reasons that you just said on the one hand it's such a new voice to me and Mm. I think to the publishing industry in general as we talked about so I love that I applaud that I love that we are continuing to diversify the voices in the publishing industry we need to do more yeah and that when we hear about other people's lived experiences that are different from our own that that's Mm. how we build empathy and understanding for people who are not like us and what they might be going through and there were lots of interesting insights that I'd never considered before and revelations about what it's like to live as a trans woman. For example, Mm -hmm. the idea of detransitioning. Yes, I had not known about that. I didn't know that that was a thing that happened at all. I knew it was a thing, but to me, it made me uncomfortable because I thought it invalidated trans people's desire and need to transition to begin with. I thought Mm -hmm. it gave credence to people who think that trans people aren't a thing and yes, so it, and that, I thought yeah. it was like I thought it happened when people were like oh I made a mistake and actually I'm not a woman um, yes, yes I didn't realize that it was because it's just too hard to it's, live that way yeah 
yes, I did a little bit of reading about that too, and it is does give voice to those people who are transphobic about yes. well see look at that person over there exactly change their mind so i'm really happy yeah. to know that i'm really yeah. glad that i know that now about detransitioning yeah. so that's just one example of and the distinction between being trans and doing trans right that plays and into that, that can, as well yeah. yes so that's just one example of something mm. i learned that i'm glad to know amongst heaps of other things as well yeah but on the other hand i felt that as i said for at least two-thirds of this book the fact that this is a novel is incidental and it was more like little essays of what Peters wants to say about trans women, mm. their experiences, mm-hmm. what they have to deal with in their daily lives and their thoughts, etc. which again, I loved, but I felt like the plot suffered from It did that. So, and sometimes it felt like two books in a, two different novels in a way that have been kind of merged together yeah well I feel like it was like non-fiction pieces yeah mixed with a novel yeah that's right I learned a lot reading this book this is a really good example of I, I say to people a lot that reading is transformative mm. this is a really good example of why it is yes it gives the reader a window into the trans world there's lots of ugly truths in this book there's lots of cruelty in this book mm. But there's also compassion and beauty that we don't have, have access to in our in our own lives day to day. She writes unapologetically and honestly, and this and I'm not ashamed to admit that there's a few pearl clutching moments in this book for me. You know, I'm you know I like to think that I'm open minded about everything, but there's a few things that I just never thought of. I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I wrote Which about that okay. too. I don't I, I don't feel I'm not judgmental of those moments I'm just like oh okay that's the thing I'll tell you this I I would say that my Google algorithms are now (laughs) way off what Google thinks I probably (laughs) do now because of all the strange and weird and wonderful things (laughs) that you have to Google (laughs) in the last week but I came away from reading this book with more knowledge and a deeper understanding of trans women and you know, it was, I learnt, but I also got to read a really smart and funny and engaging book. I, like Jane said, it's sexually explicit, mm. so it's not going to be for everyone. And yeah. like Jane said about her pearl clutching, but I have to say <laughs> that I liked that. I yeah. really liked the explicitness of this yes. because I'm curious about people, especially mm. people who aren't like me, what they get up to. I want to know. Yeah. And this tells you. So uh, Yeah, I'm a nosy Parker by nature. Yeah, exactly. So this really feeds <laughs> You do. You're getting a look into this world that, you know, have nothing to do with. Yeah. It's great. And I really appreciated and was impressed by her honesty and the brave way that she just wrote it. Mm. And the kind of sex she writes about is not something that I see portrayed in media. And so, again, Mm. I think it's good. It's a good step toward normalizing transgender people and their relationships. Absolutely. I just want to go back to the dedication again. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Sure. So Jane read that dedication. And then about midway through the novel, there's this. The only people who have anything worthwhile to say about gender are divorced cis women who have given up on heterosexuality but are still attracted to men. Katrina leans in. Really? She's interested, Reese can tell. She's asked the question with a plain curiosity. Yes, Reese nods. I mean, they go through everything I go through as a trans woman. Divorce is a transition story. Of course, not all divorced women go through it. I'm talking about the ones who felt their divorce as a fall or as a total reframing of their lives. The ones who have seen how the narratives given to them since girlhood have failed them and who know there is nothing to replace it all, but who still have to move forward without investing in new illusions or turning bitter, all with no plan to guide them. That's as close to a trans woman as you can get. Divorced women are the only people who know anything like what I know. And since I don't really have trans elders, divorced women are the only ones I think have anything to teach me or who I care to teach in return. What do you think about that? I don't totally understand that. (laughs) I feel like I need to ponder that. Do you understand that? Well, I'm not a divorced woman, so I don't. But I do understand the framing of your life in relation to being married Mm. and I could see the need for a transition period if you were to if I were to divorce what does that mean what does that mean I am who am I because you're taking that sort of expectation of heterosexual marriage out of your frame of personality I guess I I feel like 
when when I got divorced, I didn't. It, I didn't question who I was. I was mm. definitely disillusioned with the concept of marriage. Yes. I definitely thought that mm. certainly the marriage institution doesn't... Institution the of institution marriage. of yeah. marriage is flawed, fundamentally flawed. And mm. But I didn't question... I didn't feel like I had to rebuild myself. Mm. So I mean, she says not all divorced women go through it, so maybe mm. I fall into the category of not all divorced women, <laughs> but... <laughs> One other thing I thought I would mention is she uses the word transsexual in this mm-hmm. book, which made me really uncomfortable because I th- I thought of the word transsexual as a politi- politically incorrect word mm. that people don't use anymore mm. or certainly people who, who know better don't use anymore. Mm. And then so to he- see somebody in the community use that word freely, that was something else I learned because the, then I've, mm. I Googled it and, yeah, learned that it's it's – different people feel different ways about that word i i felt a little bit the same when well reese even called ames amy quite a lot even when he was living as ames and reese's friends who knew ames as amy they still called her called him amy as well right and i because i know that dead naming is really a horrible thing to Mm. do but then that's in regards to people who have transitioned once Mm. but because Ames has transitioned back again is it just as rude or inappropriate to call him Amy even though he's Ames now does that make sense yeah that makes total sense that's why wouldn't they it's a bit um, hypocritical yeah but maybe that's okay I don't know Mm. did you like it the short answer is yes. <laughs> the short answer is definitely yes. Yeah. I, I really like her writing. Yes, that I. Um, yeah, we've talked about the issues that we have with plots. So I didn't love it, mm. but I would definitely read something of hers again. Yeah, I, like we said, this is her debut novel. I hope that there's more. As trite as it sounds, I'm, you know, I'm definitely going to keep an eye out for what yeah. she's um, writing next because... I don't laugh very often in books, (laughs) and I laughed lots of times in this book. Oh, that's good. I love that. So, have you read other things? Yes, I have. (laughs) I have read a couple of other things, but I've only got one with notes. I read When Apricots Bloom by Gina Wilkinson. So, I read this because we've got her as a uh, Library Through the Lens author next week, next Mid-May, we mm. have her. Gina is a former former journalist, foreign correspondent and documentary maker who has reported from lots of war zones and lots of dangerous places in the world. She spent more than a year in um, Baghdad under Saddam Hussein. At the, at the time, Iraq was virtually sealed off from the outside world and she lived there under very tight surveillance. And one of her closest Iraqi friends worked as a secret police informant, so reported on all of her moves and this book is based on that experience there's beautiful imagery in this book I enjoyed the level of detail it's set in Iraq so again something I like is the detail in 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 a book where it's set somebody somewhere that I've never been mm. helps me establish kind of the vibe and the feel of the place and the feel of the story now this is the first fiction book I've ever listened to as an audiobook <laughs> I generally don't like fiction audiobooks because I don't like the voices that that people do and sometimes they put on a bit of an accent or don't the voices can make it or break it yeah totally so it is it, I looked up the the person who read this one and I, I think it's a Middle Eastern woman so the accent is you know it sounds authentic to me but of course because Ali's Australian she also does the Australian accent and it is just so horrible <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Come on, Jane. Let's hear your horrible. I think that. I think didn't we decide that it sounds like what it sounds like when I do an Aussie <laughs> accent? It's it's kind of it's an accent like Charlene from Neighbours. <laughs> for those of our listeners who are old enough to remember that, okay. very Aussie. Uh, <laughs> and I think I might have enjoyed it more had that not been so grating. <laughs> but it's a lovely story. It's a debut novel. I'm very much listen, looking forward to listening to Gina on our talk next week. Give it a listen. It's on Libby, obviously, because I listen to it as a Libby audiobook. <laughs> Maybe try the actual book, though, <laughs> if that sort of thing 
frustrates you. And Library Through the Lens, of course, you can hear from anywhere in the world. Yes. So feel free to yes. book in. Please do. We'd love some overseas listeners. Yeah. That'd be great. What have you read? Well, I have lots. Oh because my remember last month I didn't have any. So <laughs> then, you yeah. know, I started finishing all the books that I was working on. And the theme, there could be two themes to these books. One is books I will not be recommending to Jane. <laughs> Sad book. Yeah. And also um, the theme of to toxic masculinity. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm. So the first one I'm going to talk about is Three Women by Lisa Tadeo. So this is a nonfiction book about the sex lives of three women that she talks to over, I think it's eight years that she is involved with these women. The and same women? The same three women. Okay. So it's like a portrait of each woman. Yeah. Um, after her frank discussions with them about what, what's what's going on, one is very has a narrative that's very similar to my dark Vanessa. Mm. One is having an affair because she's married to an emotionally and physically neglectful husband, and one whose husband enjoys her being with other people. Mm -hmm. So, it showcases how women's sexual desires and agency, and the narrative of their lives is so often thwarted by men. It's quite. It's it's very it's intriguing it's really voyeuristic but it's a bit depressing um, because of that and there are at times confronting themes and there is abuse in this book but all the women had qualities that some qualities I could relate to so it was really interesting and captivating read and so the second book I'm going to talk about is Consent by Vanessa Springora. This is also nonfiction. So this is a memoir of a French woman who was groomed to be in a relationship with a 50-year-old man when she was a 13-year-old girl. And it's kind of like the Harvey Weinstein story of the French literary uh, scene, but even more shocking and horrifying because her mother is aware of what's happening and just lets it go because this guy is such a bigwig in the literary scene that she thinks it's fine. And worse, again, I would say, and more shocking than Weinstein is because the man is extremely open about his preference for young teen girls and everyone no oh, not just girls uh, boys as well and everyone just accepts it and lets him get away with it because he's this celebrated author so it's extremely readable it has these really short sharp shiny chapters and to me the most unbelievable thing about this memoir although it's like hardly addressed is the parents utter failure to protect their daughter her father's like absent and the mother as I said just lets it happen and even years later when she tries to hold her mother to account tries to approach her and say how did you let this happen she defends her actions and just says that you were really mature for your age so yeah <laughs> so and then the third book is Girl A by Abigail Dean. Oh, yeah. So this is a horrific fictional account of extreme abuse and neglect this of a large... I've been avoiding this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's in our trending titles. Mm. So it's a popular book, a neglect of a large family of children. And it's fiction, but what I found even more upsetting about it is it's based on a real case of abuse and torture of children in a family home in California in 2019, so mm. not very long ago. Let's do news. Let's do news. Okay. Uh, so one bit of news is that The Bass Rock by Evie Wilde won the Stella Prize. You've read that, haven't you? Yes, yes. I've read that. I've talked about it on yeah. the podcast. And you didn't like it, did you? I did not. I'll, the, the description of it is a stunning novel about women's grief at the hands of toxic masculinity. There it is again. <laughs> Across four centuries, described by the Stella Prize judges as a true work of art. I listened to it mm -hmm. on audiobook and I found the jumping across all the timelines very confusing mm. as an audiobook. It's a real skill, isn't it, to do that well? Yeah. I mean, obviously, she's, some people thought she's done it well because yeah. she... Yeah, they described it as a work of art. Yeah. One of the judges described it as a perplexing book. And I would definitely agree I was perplexed, but okay. not in a way that I enjoyed. But that was me. One of our other staff members, Wendy, read it, and she loved it. Mm, Wendy's so. very well read. Anything else? They are making Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, into a film. Woohoo! Starring Rachel McAdams, Benny Safdie, and Kathy Bates. Ooh. So interesting That's casting exciting. choices. Yeah, I was excited by that. Yeah, and Judy Bloom is speaking at Sydney Writers' Festival. 
which is... Which will have already happened by the time you listen yes. to this. Yes. But so I don't know if that'll be made available like they did with Adelaide Writers Week. That's true. We'll that would be Maybe great. we'll catch that up next month and see if they've yeah. released it. If they have, we'll, I'll, I'll definitely be posting about it. So just, again, follow our socials. Yeah. Oh, I just thought since we talked about the Women's Prize for mm. Fiction shortlist that I just mentioned the books that are on the shortlist. So they are The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett, Paranisi by Susanna Clark, Unsettled Ground by Claire Fuller, Transcendent Kingdom by Ya Gassi, How the One-Armed Sister Sweeps Her House. I mean, what a fantastic <laughs> title by Cherie Jones. And No One Is Talking About This, which I also love that title. Mm. No One Is Talking About This by Patricia Lockwood. So the winner will be announced 9th of September. So lots of time for everybody to read the shortlist. Yes. If you want to. Now tell us what's coming out. Okay, there's a few things. This one, there's a few little intriguing things. There's one called Yearbook by Seth Rogen, the actor. Oh. <laughs> this description says it's uh, coming-of-age stories with absurd Hollywood moments. An essay. This is an essay collection by one of our funniest actors working today. You know, that's debatable. <laughs> oh, you don't I like d- Seth no, Rogen? No, I do. I do. Oh, but okay. You know, some people don't. Um, so he talks. So they're nonfiction. Yes, yeah, so it's a little, it's almost a memoiry kind of thing. Cool. Talks about his grandparents doing stand-up comedy as a teenager, bar mitzvahs, Jewish summer camp, and and he tells way more stories about doing drugs than my mother would like. Says. <laughs> now the reason I picked it, I follow Seth Rogen on Instagram because I don't know if you know this about him, but he recently-ish within the last couple of years took up pottery. And he throw he like throws on a pottery wheel, and he does amazing, really lovely pottery, like beautiful vases and all sorts of bits and pieces. Jane's into pottery, so I I see. (laughs) So I was really, you know, when he first started, I was like, because I had been doing it for a while, I was like, oh, he's so good, so Uh, quickly. uh. But then I justified that with (laughs) the fact that he's you know a rich celebrity and probably has heaps of time to practice he's not going to a class two hours a week right like some people (laughs) so it takes them a while to get good (laughs) good quickly because he can do lots of hours of time (laughs) devoted to throwing on the wheel how unusual i love that yeah really nice aesthetic as well like yeah you should have a look you know what i want to know i always want to know with those books is does he dish on the people in hollywood Mm. Uh. doesn't say that no it doesn't does it I shouldn't He's go in with not that expectation. Old enough to have the no f's to give about <laughs> burning bridges sure. and spilling the tea. <laughs> put it in the things, <laughs> as cool. the kids say. <laughs> Another one. This is a Bloomsbury book. This comes out this month. It's by Jumper Lahiri, which is called Whereabouts. Now, she is a Pulitzer Prize-winning, Man Booker Prize shortlisted author. Very well regarded so this book is called whereabouts it's a haunting portrait of a woman her decisions her conversations her solitariness in a beautiful and lonely italian city (laughs) (laughs) why are you laughing because it sounds kind of miserable but it sounds kind (laughs) of like the kind of thing i like she moves through the city her city on her own a rare work of fiction this was first written in Italian and now it's been translated by the author herself. Brims with the impulse to cross barriers, it says here. By grafting herself onto a new literary language, Lahiri has pushed herself to a new level of artistic achievement. A dazzling evocation of a city, it captures a woman standing on one of life's thresholds, reflecting on what has been lost and facing with equal hope and rage what might lie ahead. I don't really know what it's about still. Right. But it sounds intriguing. And well, what's intriguing me is I didn't realize she wrote in Italian. Is that, ha- is that, does she normally write in Italian? I guess so. Because it said something about it being. Yes, new. first written in Italian, then translated. And, and she does the translation yes. as well. I yeah. need to read more about that. I did yeah. not know that about her. <laughs> this is another one. This is something also that sounds interesting. It's called Male Tears by Benjamin Myers. This is out on the 4th of May debut collection of stories that brings together over 15 years of work benjamin myers lays bare the male psyche in all its fragility complexity and failure farmers fairground workers and wandering pilgrims gruesome gamekeepers bare knuckle boxes and ex-cons with secret passions 
the men that populate these unsettling, wild and wistful stories form a multifaceted, era-spanning portrait of just what it means to be a man. Now, this one is uh, one that's coming out this month. It's already been nom- shortlisted for the Women's Prize, which Paula just mentioned oh, yes. then. This is No One Is Talking About This by Patricia Lockwood. So that is out this month. So I would... Lots of I'm seeing this one around a lot. It's deceptive because I think the cover is awful. Have oh. you seen the cover? Mm, I've, I must I've have written all over I've it, but it's like all oh. rainbowy and it looks self-helpy. It does look self-helpy. That's exactly yeah, what it looks, looks like. Wishy-washy, doesn't it? But it's fiction. Yes. So the description here. This is a Bloomsbury book as well. A woman known for her viral social media posts travels the world speaking to her adoring fans. Her entire existence overwhelmed by the internet or what she terms the portal. Suddenly, two texts from her mother pierce the fray. As real life collides with the increasing absurdity of the portal, the the woman confronts a world that seems to contain both an abundance of proof that there is a goodness and justice in the universe and a deluge of evidence to the contrary. Irreverent and sincere, poignant and delightfully profane, no one is talking about this, is at once a love letter to the infinite scroll and a meditation on love, language and human connection from one of the most original voices of our time. Mm. <laughs> does that sound a bit Black Mary or...? Maybe a little. Mm. So that's been shortlisted. So that's definitely one to look have out a for. look at. Mm. Yeah, ignore the... F- I mean, some people might love the cover. <laughs> no, I that's agree with fine. you, Del. <laughs> This one's a book, this is a memoir, it's a non-fiction piece, it's called A Still Life by Josie George. Josie George lives in a tiny terraced house with her son. Since childhood she's lived with the fluctuating and confusing challenge of disabling chronic illness. Her days are watchful and solitary, but her world is surprising, intricate and dynamic. Josie unfurls her history for us, her childhood, her painful adolescence and her hopeful coming of age, the struggle of her marriage and the triumph of motherhood. And then a most unexpected thing happens in Josie's quiet present. She falls in love. A still life is a story of illness and pain with no resolution that we must meet with courage, joy and hope against a world which values feeling good, and I'm putting in little quotes, values feeling good, progress and productivity above all else. Mm. Josie sets a quietly radical alternative to treasure life for life itself with all its defeats, victories, with all its great and small miracles. Mm. I like the pretense of all of that. I think that's a nice message. Now, this last one is a book that I picked because if you are reading Detransition Baby, a nice companion piece perhaps, it's called Faking It, My Life in Transition by Carl Mewburn. Carl Mewburn grew up in the sunburnt, unsophisticated Brisbane suburbs of the 60s and 70s, a household with little love, no books, a lifelong feeling of somehow being wrong. In this book, Carl describes this early life and her journey to becoming her own person, a celebrated children's book author, a husband and finally a woman. She shares the dreams, the prejudice and the agony of growing up trans and coming out, the lengthy physical ordeal of facial feminization surgery and her experiences as a woman, good, bad and creepy. Mm. Heartbreaking, often hilarious, candid, true story about what it means to hide from yourself, your partner and the world and then to attain the freedom and acceptance of being yourself. So I thought that sounded quite a nice companion piece. Yeah, non-fiction. Yeah, um, and Australian as well. Oh, great. Now, shall we announce our next book? Yes, let's. Shall I read the bits? Yes. It is called My Best Friend's Exorcism, a novel by Grady Hendrix. Now, this is a horror (laughs) book. (laughs) This is not a new book. It was published in 2016. Yes. Tell us about it. You talk about it. Well, I was just going to say it came onto my radar when I saw an article about the fact that it's going to be a movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is the quote. The adaptation of Grady Hendrix's horror novel, My Best Friend's Exorcism, is in full swing at Endeavor Content with Elsie Fisher headlining an ensemble cast that includes Amaya Miller, Kathy Ang, and Rachel Ogechikanu, the, la- the latter making her featured debut. So I was worried that it sounded um, like it was YA, but then I checked mm. it out and it's definitely adult fiction. Yeah. So I'll read the blurb, shall I? Yes. 1988, Charleston, South Carolina, 
High school sophomores Abby and Gretchen have been best friends since fourth grade. But after an evening of skinny dipping goes disastrously wrong, Gretchen begins to act different. She's moody, she's irritable, and bizarre incidents keep happening whenever she's nearby. Abby's investigation leads her to some startling discoveries, and by the time their story reaches its terrifying conclusion, the fate of Abby and Gretchen will be determined by a single question. Is their friendship power enough, powerful enough to beat the devil? Like an un- unholy hybrid of Beaches and The Exorcist, My Best Friend's Exorcism blends teen angst, adolescent drama, unspeakable horrors and a mix of 80s pop songs into a pulse-pounding supernatural thriller. Ah, I can't <laughs> wait! <laughs> and you so mentioned good. this as well when we first decided on this. It's got vague vibes of heathers as well yes heathers meets the exorcist and it's got kind of a stranger things look to it it's funny jane and i when we were looking to purchase the book it's got two different covers Mm. and one of them jane just hated because it's it's so hideous but it's made out to look like an 80s horror vhs tape cover and then the one that we did end up getting is equally clever because it's made to look like a a yearbook a high school yearbook and then when you open the inside and back uh, covers it's got writing all through it like you would have in your or at least I would I had in my in my high school yearbooks yeah your friends have written little notes and things and I haven't read them all yet no I haven't read any of it yet but I can't wait so oh look it even has a space in the back like for ads like they had in the yearbooks you you, you said you didn't have your books well yeah that's that's exactly (laughs) what it looks like (laughs) (laughs) That's so great. I love it. I love little clever things like that. So I'm, even though I'm a bit scared, I'm excited by it. Yeah. So this is available as an audiobook on Libby as well as uh, the copies we've got in the library. So lots of options for you. So get reading and join us next month. See you then. Bye. Bye. I read something where it said never make fun of somebody who pronounces something wrong because it means they learned it by reading. That's right. And Mm. reading people are better people. (laughs) That's right. That's what we're here. That's what we're (laughs) all about. If you read, you're a better person. (laughs) We like you better. Like when you spilled the tea. Yes. <laughs> oh God. Not in the um, metaphorical sense. Yeah, that's right. In Not in the kids' sense, yeah. but literally <laughs> spilled the tea. <laughs> oh, memories of podcast past. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's cousin <laughs> is crap. <laughs>